Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Hi, friends. I'm here today with Rabbi Eli Confer, who's president and CEO of the Hadar Institute. Eli holds a doctorate in liturgy from the Jewish Theological Seminary, where he was also ordained. He also received smicha from his longtime teacher, Rabbi Daniel Landis. Eli has previously worked as a journalist, banker, and corporate fraud investigator. He is the author of Empowered Judaism, What Independent Minyanim Can Teach Us About Building Vibrant Jewish Communities. Eli, thanks for taking time to talk. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So to jump right in, your, your book, Empowered Judaism, is um, about 10 years old. And, uh, and I wonder what has changed since you wrote that. Yeah, well, when I wrote Empowered Judaism, it was published back in early 2010. Um, there were about 60 independent minyanim nationwide, including a number of independent minyanim around the world in Israel and other, uh, and other Jewish communities. And um, it really felt like a moment of growth and, um, I don't know, excitement around this model that is actually not so new of Jews getting together to pray on an independent basis. And I think what's changed over the last 10 years is both um, a shifting in terms of what was and seeing new seeds grow in other areas. So in terms of shifting what was, there were sort of big independent minyanim that are now the establishment. Um, you know, you have in sort of the major urban areas where Jews are, um, Boston, DC, New York, um, you know, certain West Coast cities, LA, San Francisco, there are these minyanim that have been around for, you know, 15 or more years, and they've gone through numerous cycles of leadership and have their, have their own ups and downs, I would say, in terms of stability and um, attendance. Uh, but they're all still, you know, humming in the, in the big cities. Um, I think a lot of the minyans that were around 10 years ago that are in the smaller cities, they, some of them have come and gone. Um, and in that way, it's sort of a transient phenomenon in certain places. And then you see seeds of new growth, specifically on college campuses, where for whatever reason, the establishment sort of denominational minyanim are a little bit weaker than they were 10 years ago, and you see new things sprouting up. So I think a lot has changed if you were to just sort of take minion by minion, but in some ways the, the sort of ethos of this uh, movement, as it were, um, remains even as it shifts. Fascinating. So you're also a scholar of Jewish liturgy, and I wonder if you can share a little bit about what, uh, what, what, what current projects you're involved with there. So last year, I was privileged to be in Israel for the year and had the opportunity to spend most of my days working on a project that will hopefully be coming out as a book on the weekday Amida. Um, the 
approach of the book is really to do what I've done in my teaching over the last 20 years, which is to look at the literary connection between uh, lines of the Sidur and the Tanakh. And when you hold those connections up and analyze them, you can actually derive uh, more interest, in my opinion, more interesting meaning um, to those prayers than you might otherwise be able to do if you were just looking at the Sidur uh, on its own. Um, I'd give you an example if you'd like. Right, would love, would love it, yeah. A, a short example in a line that we are often used to saying in the Amida, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, um, the second line of that first blessing, uh, people always ask, you know, why those three characters? Why is the word God of, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, why is the word God of repeated? Um, and those are all good questions, but fundamentally it comes down to the fact that this is a quote, a straight up quote from the scene of Moses standing at the burning bush. Uh, where God calls out to Moses in that moment and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in that way, when we know that that is the source quote for our prayer, we could sort of reinterpret our moment of standing in the Amida as standing at the burning bush like Moshe. And Moshe was not a particularly involved Jew at that point in his life. He had run away to Midian and had his own not, you know, not connected to the Jewish people existence. And when God said, will you come to Egypt and redeem the Jewish people? Moshe said, I'd rather not. Um, so there's this sort of moment of standing in prayer where we ask ourselves, well, how connected are we to the Jewish people? How alienated are we feeling right now? Do we hear a call from God from the proverbial burning bush? And when faced with that question of, you know, the mission of our life, are we ready to step up and do it? Or would we rather take a pass and, you know, be a shepherd in, Mid in Midian forever? So it's those kinds of additional lenses that you could add to your prayer that I think um, help deepen the experience of saying the Amida. By the way, why, don't, why do you think we don't say Elohei Moshe? Why, why, why do we pray? Why are the Avot more uh, formative than, that, um, than the one who led us from the Exodus towards Sinai? It's a great question, and you could also say the same thing about David, Elohei David, which, um, which did actually appear in some versions of the Amida in, in old, old versions. Um, but um, Moshe doesn't appear in the Amida at all, which is kind of amazing since he was the number one davener in Jewish history. Um, and that also might link to, like, why is Moshe not in the Haggadah, even though he plays a major role in that story? There might have been some, you know, we don't want to mention Moshe because he's too too powerful a figure to you know to to say in our liturgy. But actually, I feel like when you realize that Eloheinu is a hyperlink to a scene of Moshe, then Moshe actually is in the Amida. It doesn't say Elohei Moshe because that's not a phrase from the Bible. But the phrase that we are quoting is a quote that comes up in the story of Moshe. So I do think that Moshe is present even if he remains sort of unmentioned by name. Amazing. So um, in your teaching of tefillah, of, of Jewish prayer, what do you find that most um, are seeking? Of course, uh, people seek all kinds of things, but what are some of the most common themes you hear of what those are seeking to get out of their prayer experience? And for you on a personal level, what would you say you're most commonly seeking? So in my teaching around prayer, I would say a lot of people are struggling to overcome two issues. One is can I connect to the words or are the words 
pushing me away from a more you know direct experience of divinity or spirituality and the second is can i connect to the experience in other words even if i'm buying the words am i having uh, an emotional experience that's driven by the aesthetic factors of the prayer space and the and the situation that is leading me to having that powerful intense experience or pulling me away from that and i think people really do want to connect when they pray i mean the old joke goes that goldberg talk goes to shul to talk to god and i go to talk to goldberg but i actually feel like more people are still going they would want to talk to god if that was more readily available and the gap wasn't so deep and so i'm trying to sort of minimize the the gaps that uh, hold us back in that attempt to speak directly to god i feel like when people connect to the words and and don't dismiss them as old or irrelevant or you know even offensive then you've overcome one barrier which is okay i can at least say the words now and then the aesthetics is a whole other you know can of worms what kind of music is there how is the um the leader set oriented towards the daveners what is the sound in the room what's the um what the visuals what am i looking at um who am i with in the room all that stuff contributes to the experience of praying and i really do feel like i mean prayer is something that is not just jewish as you know it's a cross human uh yearning and i do feel like the jewish people like all people uh many of them do want to pray and so it's our responsibility as prayer leaders and facilitators to make that process as easy as possible for them amazing amazing so last question for you um how central do you think prayer should be to jewish spiritual life jewish religiosity and for those who kind of had an experience and burnt out or had a negative experience some time ago you know would you make a case for them to try uh try again Yeah well I so I ended up starting an institution that is uh about Jewish learning and when we started that it wasn't just learning on its own sake sort of disconnected from practice or community it also involved prayer um that is to say when you come to Yeshiva Hadar you daven and you learn and you live Jewish life in community and I think removing prayer from the formula um which was you know originally formulated by Shimon Atzadik you know the um Torah Voda and Gimel Chasadim Voda is probably temple worship in that original context but it's come to mean prayer I don't think you can remove that so easily from the core ingredients of a full Jewish life now that said I I I think that as you say a lot of people have the experience of being burned out in prayer or just not connecting in a deep way and i completely understand that i myself have had large parts of my own life where i've struggled with that um at the end of the day i do think it's worth trying again because to me as i've learned the words of the prayer book uh and just studied them like like you would study torah uh you know there's so much there to unpack uh that's true about the sidur as well and i've discovered that there is a lot to try again with in other words it's not just a push through it you know you may not like it but try it again exactly the same way and it'll work for you it's more like there's a lot here that you didn't count on being there and once we can uncover that we could renew this relationship from the beginning um so i i haven't given up on jews praying even those who have had hard experiences and my hope is that some of the teaching that i'm doing that we're doing at hadar um is able to bridge that gap that people have 
Thank you so much, friends. Be sure to check out Rabbi Dr. Eli Confer's uh, recordings and articles online and book, of course. And, uh, and make sure to check out Hadar and come, uh, come, come learn Machon Hadar.